Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs and cats, and household pets, meet your newest elder, Mr. David Fisher, married to Anna, Audrey, Evelyn, Elliot, if I remember their kids' names correctly. Uh, They've been at Henson seven years. I think you'll learn a lot of fun things about David. We'll talk about his testimony, hear his story, just so you can get to know David a little bit better. Hope you are encouraged and that you reach out to David and Anna and encourage them. Well, David Fisher, you're back at the Disciple Henson podcast studio. We decided to have you back 37, 38 episodes later. You were episode 60. You talked about joy. I listened to the beginning of that podcast today, and it was it was excellent. I'd encourage you listeners to go back and listen if you missed that one. But David, you're here today to talk a little bit more about your testimony and in view of, I think, listeners, by the time you hear this, David will be our newest elder, God willing. Mm-hmm. The vote goes as planned. We haven't heard any negative feedback, so uh, I think we're excited to have you serving this way, David. So welcome. That was a long Thanks. welcome. Glad to be here. Excited to be back. You're wired today. I'm wired. I have. I've. I've reached my caffeine limit, which is how many ounces of caffeine? It's about three quarters of a of a double espresso. That's about how much before my heart starts racing. Okay. And you make yeah. that at home? At home or uh, today I enjoyed a delicious Eastside coffee. Okay. Do you want to compliment your barista on the the podcast? It You know, you don't need to do that because we're just thankful for Eastside in general. <laughs> I'm so bad with names, but all the people at Eastside. Uh, Fantastic. The, the quality is consistent. Yep. Friendliness. Uh, the atmosphere is great. I can always find a seat. You it's, get you get points great. on your purchase. For, I haven't started. I haven't like signed up for that. I need to do that. Yes, you do. Yeah, I'm all about the points. We'll maybe have a different, a whole not, a podcast devoted to my uh, search for points. <laughs> <laughs> so um, once again, we're recording this prior to the congregational meeting on September 19. But by this time that this episode's released, uh, we presume that David will be Henson's newest elder. So thank you again for agreeing to serve us in this way, David. We want to take a few minutes to get to know you, um, since not every member will be able to get maybe one-on-one time with you or even spend time with your family, although we encourage members to reach out yeah, um, and to get to know you. Uh, you shared your testimony at a recent outdoor service. I think that was on the 29th mm-hmm. of August. Mm-hmm. And uh, members, if you missed that, or you want to go back and listen to it again? You can. I didn't even know this. I should know this because I'm on staff. But you can you can watch the service later on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's released on Monday or Tuesday because it's a private link for the for the live stream at least going forward when we go back online. But yeah, you, I just went on there on YouTube and found the Henson channel and there's the 8:29 service. And if you go to minute 10:24, that's when you get up and share your testimony. Yeah, I discovered that because one of my family members wanted to see the te- my testimony or me delivering it, and I said, yep, the, the, they don't have it anymore. And then I looked and found, oh, no, they do have it. Past services you can view on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you get any feedback from that family member? I think, yeah, she said it was encouraging and appreciated seeing it. Good. Yeah. Did you get any feedback from the congregation after you shared your testimony? Yeah, a few people were grateful, you mm-hmm. know, for just— hearing about God's work in my life and mm-hmm. 
Um, so overall it was encouraging. It was a little, um, nerve wracking to do it in full hearing of the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely thought about that yeah. when I was, you know, preparing to, how did that change? How, maybe how, do you have any thoughts on if it changed how you decided to share your testimony? If, had it been like normally inside in the auditorium? Yeah. I mean, I think I just thought about it as I was preparing as less, not as much a family conversation and more mm. of a, of a, of a family conversation and an evangelistic opportunity or an opportunity to speak to potentially, you know, others in the neighborhood. So I don't know what it would have looked like exactly had I had the other thing in, had, mm -hmm. you know, inside church in mind, but, mm -hmm. um, a few people encouraged me beforehand at, you know, at Henson that, Hey, you should think about this as an, as an opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. Adrian Lawrence encouraged me in that way. Appreciated it. Well, I'd encourage you as well, brother. I thought you you were transparent I, as a fellow brother in Christ. I was encouraged in my faith, but I was also thinking at the same time for unbelievers who I knew were not just passing by on their bikes or walking their dogs, but believers or unbelievers who I knew had come to the service or mm -hmm. people who I weren't sure if they were Christians mm -hmm. who were sitting there listening and just the way you highlighted God's grace in your life, I thought was powerful. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, can we just follow up on some of the things sure. you shared in your testimony? And if at any time you want to, you know, add anything or, yeah. you know, ask yourself a question. Mm -hmm. we, Happy to do that. Yeah. Uh, so you, you talked about growing up, going to church. What kind of church did you grow up going to? So most of growing up was at a Baptist church that was kind of nominal, uh, and what do you mean by I that? Say that? Yeah, when I say that, I mean that that a lot of what was talked about as the gospel there was very much a gospel of thinking right thoughts and doing the right things, meaning it was kind of works-based. Um, there wasn't a... I, I don't recall there being a deep sense of being transformed by God's grace, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I remember thinking the, the telling thing about, you know, the, the spiritual environment that I was in growing up, I think was that I remember thinking as a young man, Oh, I'll get serious about my faith later in life mm -hmm. because this was when I was kind of getting into drugs. And, and, and so the fact that I would even have that thought, suggests that I viewed my faith as primarily living a certain way. Right. And, uh, and so, and, and that I could defer that, you know, mm -hmm. to a, to a, a later point. And mm -hmm. so, so I think it was, I definitely grew up with, um, you know, well meaning, well-intentioned people trying to teach scripture, but, but did it in a way that came off as very, um, works-based and me centered. Mm. Yeah. And it's probably hard. I mean, it's hard to to put yourself back in kind of where you were there then as a kid. And then this is in Alaska. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Baptist church. What kind of Baptist church? I don't remember the specifics. Just okay. remember that Baptist was in the name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What part of Alaska? Just out of curiosity. I grew up in Fairbanks. Okay. Yeah. Do you still have family back there? And not in Fairbanks, but do have family in Alaska. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you like Alaska? I do, but since I've been married, uh, I've learned to 
view my desires with consideration to my wife's desires <laughs> and she doesn't like the cold mm -hmm. and so i sort of put it out of my mind a long time ago mm -hmm. the the idea of of ever living there um again but also career-wise there's not as many opportunities there as sure. there are in like larger cities for me sure and so um so we're really glad to be in portland but alaska is fun to visit in the summer yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i've never been it's one of the two states i haven't been to yeah so i'd like to go sometime you should i hear it's beautiful um, one of the things, but to get back to more serious things, <laughs> this is a hard right turn here, but, uh, one of the things I really appreciated about your testimony is how transparent you were. And, uh, you shared very openly just saying that you had been abused as a child. Um, was that, you know, as we were just talking about what to include in your testimony and who would be listening, was that a difficult decision for you to share about that and kind of what went into that consideration just to like let people know that this had happened. Yeah. So for me, I've, I think it's important when I tell my story to include that as part of my story mm. in part, because it was a significant part of sort of shaping, you know, for better or for worse, the, uh, my life, but then also because there with, with sexual abuse, there's a culture of, uh, shame and silence. Mm -hmm. And that's intentional on the part of the abusers because uh, if if an abuser can convince an abused person to feel personal guilt and to be silent about it, then the abuse can perpetuate. Mm -hmm. And so it's a tactic, mm -hmm. but that's really sinister, obviously, and evil. Um, and something that, and, and it shows up in my story in the fact that I didn't tell anybody about it until I was like 20. And... So over time, I learned that not only is it helpful to talk about it, but it can be helpful for others who may be in the place that I was, you know, pre-feeling like, no, it wasn't my fault and it is good to talk about it because that uh, um, stops the cycle of abuse by, by eliminating, you know, the sort of silence and shame part of it or by, by challenging that, by being open. And so for that reason, I think it's, I think it's just important for me to tell that. Yeah. For me to tell that part. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I was just thinking how I have a, a number of follow-up questions, um, that I think would serve, uh, those who are listening sure. on this subject matter, but we should, uh, we should set that maybe aside. I mean, well, I guess I would just ask one follow-up question, sure. at least one, mm -hmm. um, if someone who's maybe heard your testimony uh, there on the 29th mm -hmm. or and then or is listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I have abuse in my background, maybe is there is there something that you would like a way that you would encourage that individual? Yeah. So, you know, I've learned it, it, it took a long it, it's been a long period, sure, you know, for me sure. to kind of come to terms with what's happened to go to counseling, to, you know, to be open with that, to, and, and to process through it and pray through it, you know, but, but sadly, sexual abuse is very common. And yeah. I've, I've read statistics that suggest that as many as one in four women and one in five men have experienced some kind of sexual abuse. And yep. so, uh, I think that freedom from the sort of um, 
mental uh, oppression, the guilt, that, that the gateway to that is openness and light mm-hmm. and talking and bringing it to the light and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and yet that's the thing that is so difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, in part because shame and silence is a tactic that serves to perpetuate abuse. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what makes it so important to talk about it. And so I guess if someone is in a situation where they've experienced abuse, they maybe haven't talked about it openly or have not come to the point where they can say I've experienced some degree of healing, mm-hmm. um, I would encourage them to find someone trusted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And and as an elder at Henson, would you be someone who would be willing to talk to sure. a member of our church about that? Yeah, Anna, yeah. Anna and I would be happy to to talk with people. You know, th- there's probably nothing you could say that would surprise you know surprise or shock us. Um, and uh, and and I'm sure that you know the staff pastors. I'm sure that Mary Alice. That there's other people who would be happy to talk. You know, I want to speak on behalf of Mary Alice, but I'm sure there's there's women as well who'd be happy to talk. Um, but you know, for me, I because I grew up with a lot with trauma, not just that, but also just the breakdown of my parents' marriage and, and all of that. I was in my head a lot and I had mm-hmm. to process things intellectually and through reading. Mm-hmm. And one book that I found really helpful to think through and process, um, my own abuse and to learn to think about it in a more biblical and, and, um, helpful way was a book by Dan Allender on the topic of sexual abuse. And I don't remember the, we'll put it in the yeah, notes, we'll put it in the notes. Cause it's, it, it, it was a really helpful book. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Praise God. Um, again, David, I'm, I'm so thankful for you sharing, sharing a, a little bit about, about that, uh, trauma, but then I'm so thankful for how the Lord brought healing in time. And uh, you just encouraging those who are finding themselves with maybe that past or even currently experiencing that abuse. Um, you shared in your testimony how, I mean, I want—I don't want to say it was a direct, res- you, you weren't saying it was a di- direct response to the abuse, but the pain that you had known in your life and part of your rebellion against God included um, looking to peers, performance, kind of wild living, um, what at that point, kind of as you're, you're seeking to cope with the pain mm-hmm. as you're, as you, do you, do you, were you aware what was going on in your heart in relation to God? Like, I were think, you angry yeah, at him? I don't think I was angry at God. I think I was more looking for fulfillment. Sure. I didn't have a stable family environment growing up mm-hmm. and that was the case far before the divorce actually happened but then my parents were divorced and I was, you know, in a position of have, of going back and forth between their houses every two weeks for multiple, for several years of high school. And so I was just, I was looking for fulfillment and, and the Christianity that I came to understand growing up was, was one of knowledge and performance mm-hmm. and not, not, not one of, true fulfillment. I hadn't experienced it that way. And I think that, and so 
me turn me looking to peers for validation in part was because I didn't feel validation at home and I didn't have the sort of spiritual framework to experience that meaningfully with God. And so like peers was it. And it was, and there was instant gratification there too, because in sort of the seedy high school culture that I was in, you know, it, it, um, it was petty and fickle, but exciting, you know, in Mm -hmm. some ways. And, and, uh, so that, and then performance, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for just God, for God giving me a brain that can think about things in a certain way. And I, I, I learned to do enough work to get an A mm-hmm. because I believed at that time that that was important for my future. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so academic performance and just performance in general, meaning appearing to the right people as, as the right kind of person, <laughs> which was different for different audiences, um, was important. And so, yeah, I learned to, And so I, I think I mentioned there were times growing up where where I, if I, if somebody called me out on something, whether it was, you know, particularly if it was legitimate, like, you know, like calling you out morally, morally, or just I messed something up with a job or something like it would devastate me for mm. a long, like it, you know, I felt a sinking in my gut. It was hard to sleep sometimes because performance was such an idol for me. And it was not okay to, to not appear to others as I have everything together, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. So did you have any Christian friends in high school, say? I I did, but they were sort of in the same, you know, they were mostly in the same kind of religious, spiritual environment, hearing the same kinds of messages. Going to church, like, so are you going to church in high school? Mm -hmm. Or you you continue to go to church? Yeah, pretty much every Sunday. Okay, wow. And, uh, you know, this is probably a segue to where you're headed next, but, you know, the first time I really experienced a very different church environment and a very different uh, and truer take on what the gospel is and how that impacts your day-to-day life was in college. Okay. Was, was moving to college. So where, where'd you go? I went to Chapman university in Southern California. Okay. In, in Orange County. What made you go there? I mean, you're leaving Alaska, right? Yeah. I didn't apply to any schools in Alaska. I mean, I was anxious to try to do something different Sure. and, you know, try something new and get into a different climate. And I think very practically, you know, I, I had, I was going to be responsible for paying for most of college on my own. And so I had to, you know, I went to the place with the biggest financial aid package mm-hmm. and, uh, I, w- I was glad to be in California. It was a welcome change from, you know, long winters and sure in Alaska. Sure. And, uh, is, is Chapman a private institution? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And religious at all? They, they would say that they are, but okay. you know, that the evidence of that is their all faith chapel and you know i mean it's i gotcha it's sort of pseudo religious i hear you um yeah i mean it was a great environment for encountering very a very diverse set of ideas and convictions um, which were mostly not religious right but it was during this time that you you said kind of encountered the gospel Mm -hmm. in a fresh way or maybe for the first time yeah i was part of a church down there uh i i became you know I i joined a church called rock harbor church and it was you know, more on the contemporary side, slightly on the charismatic side, mm-hmm. but had very substantive expositional preaching. Is that right? And it was, I just, I remember 
in those days in church for the first time in however long it was or ever feeling that I really want to be here. I want to be worshiping. I want to be reading the Bible and just sensing that I didn't realize the significance of it at the time, but that, that, you know, there was a change that happened in my heart. I think that, that God had caused around that period of the first couple of years of college. So are you simultaneously kind of living a worldly life while those uh, desires are coming into your heart? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were, they, over, yeah. I mean, some overlap. It, there was some overlap. I mean, I think when I moved to college, I left drugs behind in Alaska, but, mm-hmm. but other vices, sins, you know, I, I, I kept, I suppose, or continued in, in the first few years of college, but over time felt convicted about that and, and started to, to conform, you know, my behavior more to, to what my confession was and to what, and to the, and, you know, it was the Holy Spirit just working in my life, but it didn't, he didn't work in a way that was overnight or dramatic. It was gradual over a period of years. And did you say it was Rock Harbor? Mm -hmm. Were you baptized at Rock Harbor? I was baptized, no, at a church when I was younger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And were there any individuals like during that co- those college years, who kind of took you under their wing, mentored, discipled you, kind of uh, particularly took an interest in you, which w- was helpful for you spiritually? Yeah, absolutely. There were lots of people at at Rock Harbor, and then in you know some of the like Christian ministries on campus, where you know, but I, a, a lot of the growth, a lot of what I remember f- from the growth was was listening to good teaching. And reading scripture, hmm. Hmm. Um, and like I said, I'm the kind of person who, because of just the way that things happened growing up, I've always sort of been in my head a little bit, um, and so it's 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 an it's effort for me to develop deep discipleship relationships and seek out mentors. But uh, but yeah, it was a it was a really tra- you know helpful transformative time in my life. Other than reading God's Word and listening to sermons, were there any uh, particular authors or books that the Lord used during that season that you can remember? Not, not, not in particular. I just was very interested in, in you know, it. it I, re- I read a lot of scripture. Mm. Um, I read a lot of things about scripture. I was very into sort of apologetics and philosophy at the time, in part because it overlapped with what my like st- area of study was at, mm-hmm. in college. But, um, yeah. Um, you said in your testimony that uh, you started to understand that your identity was in part, um, even as you're waking up spiritually, and the Lord is. Mm-hmm. Uh, using the gospel um, to change your heart, you said, but you're still your identity is still in part in your religious performance. Um, but as you were reading God's word, as mm-hmm. you were considering about or learning more about Christ's work and God's sovereignty and your inability to contribute anything to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary, that you felt this freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that? Was that process of of thinking about God's sovereignty, um, and uh, you know how you were helpless and dead in your sins, and the Lord rescued you? Uh, was that happening there in college, or was that later in life? Because I know you also went to to seminary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
after college, I moved from California to Washington, D.C. to work in, in government. And Did we overlap? I can't remember. I'm sure we've had this conversation. What years were you in D.C.? I moved to D.C. in 2000, January 2007, and I was there for about eight, eight years, so till 2015. Okay, we did overlap. We might have passed each other on the street and didn't even know it. Yeah, because I lived at a house for the first few years, you know, that the 07 to, to 09, uh, that was blocks from CHBC. Yeah. Actually, now that we're having this conversation, I'm having, having deja vu. I think we had this on episode 60. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So we owe <laughs> listeners, <laughs> thank you for indulging us. So you were there in DC. Mm-hmm. I, I interrupted your train of thought. No, I was. So I moved into a Christian men's house on Capitol Hill called mm-hmm. the Jonathan House. And there, it, you know, the purpose of it was sort of intentional community of mm-hmm. Christian brothers. And there were maybe eight or 10 other guys living there with me and and people would kind of rotate in and out generally stay a year or two and when i got there i encountered for the first time a lot of really deep thinking people who had very different uh spiritual convictions so some in the in the house were catholic Mm. some were reformed you know calvinist others were you know very baptist um, CHPC types and, and <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> and so that intellectual environment was super interesting for mm. me, but it exposed me to some ways of thinking about scripture and, and the faith that I hadn't been exposed to before, except in sort of a dumbed down and, and stereotypical way. And and I remember thinking the first few years of working on Capitol Hill and how all of my colleagues were generally reading like historical biographies and, you know, political books. And I was, I was really digging into like theological, you know, and, and, and philosophical and Bible related reading. Not and because so, you had to, just because that's what you're interested in. That was in. what I was interested in. Yeah. yeah. And so I got interested in, in seminary mm-hmm. and it just so happened that, that, in DC and looking at the options at that time of what, what was an option in terms of trying seminary out, uh, that reformed theological seminary was, was just the best option. Like there weren't, there wasn't a lot of other viable options that were Protestant and, you know, biblical, I guess. And did you enjoy your studies? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, and, 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 but initially I pushed back hard at, you know, the distinctively reformed things like okay. a lot of it, you know, 90% of it was, was just studying scripture right. and, and, and understanding the word and, and Greek and Hebrew and, and all that. But, but obviously the, there's the, this, the distinctively Calvinist element mm-hmm. and five points of Calvinism and, and God's sovereignty that I, that I just didn't have a good, like I didn't believe in, I didn't have a good association with it. I, I, probably held a lot of stereotype typical views about that theology um imagine that yeah (laughs) but what i but over time what happened was i grew to to know more people who unlike my previous experience were were not arrogant Mm. you know and were were really on fire for the lord Mm. who believed in calvinism and also my stereotypes kind of being broken down okay what i thought the claims were. And the thing that I, I would say growing up, I probably thought Christian maturity was mainly that you knew lots of advanced theological things and didn't sin a lot. 
and what I realized through seminary principally was that I was that Christian maturity, I think is just a deeper and deeper understanding of this John Newton quote that I said in my testimony that, that I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. Mm. Just understanding those at a deeper and more personal and heartfelt level that that's what Christian maturity more looks like than just knowing lots of things. And I'm really grateful to have learned that in seminary, but God's sovereignty was definitely a big part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, de-emphasizing me and, and emphasizing more God and his work. I, I really appreciate the way you shared about that uh, because uh, certainly a lot of us have a lot of preconceptions about different theological traditions or based on people that we've known, but um, encouraging to hear how the Lord used those those doctrines, that theology that you were just naturally interested in, just in some ways, like in a worldly way. That's just the mm-hmm. way the Lord wired David mm-hmm. to be interested in these deep, but then the Lord used, um, you know, those, that kind of academic study that you were mm-hmm. doing in your life spiritually. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that how it's supposed to work? Yeah. I mean, that uh, certainly for, for those who are in seminary and my own prayer for myself when I was in seminary is that the Lord would use it to enliven my heart for him. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that the Lord, the Lord did that for you, in, yeah. in some measure. Yeah, I think so. And it and it it deepened my faith for sure. There there were challenging elements of it too. You know, looking at the Bible as a textbook for years and years on end, you know, had the effect of making devotional life difficult. But yeah. but that you know that took some time, and I and I think I I think I've sort of at least in part moved past that. And, but yeah, so it it was overall like super encouraging and shaped my faith in a, in a really positive way. David, uh, we're, we're quickly running out of time. So I want to fast forward to today and you're here at Henson. You and Anna have been here how many years now? Seven, roughly seven years. Uh, you guys uh, live in Beaverton or yeah, right between Beaverton and Hillsborough, technically Hillsborough. Yeah. You work for Nike. I do, um, which is a somewhat recent thing. I think you had just gotten the job when we did the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you do for Nike? I help them with communications and, and transition management. So when they're going through change, I help uh, the leaders to communicate effectively and to do the right leaderly things to help their people through change. That's excellent. Uh, could you hook me up with some new running shoes? <laughs> I can hook you up with a with a, an employee store pass. Okay, uh, that's kind of you. Um, I I guess maybe one question that people would have is like, you were going to seminary. Were you thinking of going into ministry? Like when you were going to seminary, did you think you would find yourself working in this career? Yeah, I. When I started going to seminary, I was testing the waters. I only started by taking a couple of classes, and I did think I was going to go into vocational ministry. And over the six-year seminary journey... You said you did think. I did think. Yep. I did mm-hmm. think I was headed that way. Mm-hmm. And over the six-year seminary journey, two things changed. One was I grew to love consulting more. Mm. When I was starting seminary, I was also starting consulting, and I wasn't good at it. And it was hard. And I didn't You weren't like good it. at the I consulting I was not that you were doing in D.C. Yeah, I yeah. was not good at consulting when I started. And, I, and when you're not good at something, it's hard to enjoy it. So over time, I learned more about it got more experience, got better at it and enjoyed it more. And I did consulting for, you know, 13 years or so until I just recently moved internal at Nike. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing that changed in seminary was 
learning about bivocational ministry. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a category for me before. Mm-hmm. This idea that you can, you know, sort of be in a normal career track and be but be ministering still in a bible in a lay elder role or in a you know ministering to your family ministering to your community ministering at work and so that that wasn't a category but became a category for me and that's that's i think where god's call is more on my life now that's great and what does your walk with christ look like today uh like you mentioned your your love of reading. Um, like, what are you reading in the Bible these days? What does your involvement at Henson look like? You just want to speak to kind of what is David being a Christian husband, father, employee? I mean, what what is yeah. it? Just a, a, a few snapshots. Yeah, I'm I'm reading through Romans slowly. Mm. Um, Do you like outline it and stuff? Or you get a pen out, or I have you just... the ESV Scripture Journals. Oh yeah, which are on. They're basically like. A book of that book of the Bible, and on the left page you have scripture, on the right page you have just blank, uh-huh. and you can journal about it. But the thing that that it became hard for me to do after seminary was to read scripture devotionally, because particularly when I read it quickly, I was reading it analytically, mm-hmm. and I found that if I slow down, mm. I can think about it more, think about it more deeply, pray about it write write about it and reflect on it in a way that's more meaningful to me and so that's that's what i've that's what i'm doing right now and uh you know i try to i've tried to view my primary ministry field as as in the home um and so there's some overlap with our homeschool curriculum where we have uh family time what homeschool curriculum do you guys use we use a Charlotte Mason-based curriculum uh, that's part of a school network called Ambl- Ambleside Schools International. Okay. Yeah. But with with Bible, which is one of the subjects that I'm responsible for, um, you know, we have family time in the evenings after dinner before bed where we we try to use that as a a canvas on which we can put multiple things, one of which is reading scriptures of family and talking about it, one of which is praying together. You know, I, I don't, I, I like structure, but if I, if things are too structured, then I find I don't stick to it. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that we're trying to stick to is just having the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we use it to process through how we related to each other that day, which maybe wasn't that great. And we need to talk about it as a family. And sometimes we'll use it to pray or, um, and then during the school year, often we'll use it in part two you know, talk about like whatever we're going through in scripture as part of the curriculum. So yeah, I, I, I think I made the mistake early, cause I've always been pretty involved with church yep. leadershipy things. And you've yeah. done that at Henson. You lead, you've led multiple small groups. Yeah. You've taught Sunday school. You've taught on Sunday nights. You've served in a number of capacities, discipling yeah. brothers in the church. Mm-hmm. And that's been the case for me ever since college. Okay. You know, okay. With, but but you said that was a mistake to but, do all that. Well, just that <laughs> that a lot of times I've I think a men, there was a mental priority on my part of those things that were serving the church as opposed to serving the church in my home. Mm-hmm. You know, or the, mm-hmm. the 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 part of the church that is in my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's become you know more important I think as the kids have gotten older. And so so that trying to view that as my primary ministry field but 
but I've been involved, you know, from a Hinson perspective, I've been involved with, yeah, Sunday school, um, teaching and evening service teaching. There's a, there's a theology of work series that some of the elders are, are leading through right now that Anna and I will, will be a part of, you know, we'll, we'll teach a little bit as part of that series. So cool. Cool. Well, David, we're so excited to have you serve as an elder at Henson. It's going to be great. I'm personally just looking forward to having you be a part of the conversation that we have a couple times a month as elders, as we seek to care for the church, pray for the church. It'll be great to have you there, but I'm just thankful for the ways you already have been eldering in our church. Uh, and you've been an example to, to me of how you've done that in your home as well. Uh, are you, how are you feeling about serving as an elder? Yeah, officially, I, f- I feel, I feel good about it. I'm the type of person who doesn't think about things a lot until they happen. Like mm. my wife probably asked me 50 times before we had our first child, like, so how are you feeling? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'll feel something when it happens. Uh-huh. And I'm in the moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, I'm I, more seriously. I am really grateful for the role that Hinson has played in our lives mm-hmm. in the past seven years. I'm really grateful for the relationships that we have here. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to, uh, get to know the elders more and just spend more mm-hmm. time with them mm-hmm. and, and hope, you know, hopefully to find, to find ways to contribute and, and serve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for you taking this time to have this conversation. I trust it will be encouraging for the church and grateful for your friendship and the fact that you are here at Henson partnership in the gospel. So thanks again for coming. Thanks, Dan. Likewise. Hey friends, just a final note before we conclude this podcast episode, I was so thankful once again that David was willing to open up about his past of being abused. And uh, after we were done recording the episode, he said there was so much more that he wanted to say, particularly to those who uh, may have been a victim of abuse or are currently a victim of abuse. Um, Just a couple resources um, to mention before we conclude this episode. Call the safety crisis line if you are currently feel like you are not safe. It's 503-235-5333 in Multnomah County. That's 503-235-5333, and we'll put that in the podcast notes. We also have uh, partners sometimes with the ministry called Mending the Soul, and you could contact Mary Alice DeBoer about more details about that. And once again, Mary Alice affirm that she is happy to talk to anyone who is struggling, and uh, all your pastors and elders, too, would be more than—that we would feel privileged um, to provide counsel and help in your time of need. Thanks for listening to the episode today, and stay tuned. As, as I mentioned, we may have a future episode just dedicated to the topic of abuse.